any prideful PM just wants to build an amazing product. They really do. And so if you as the leader or you as the GM can help remove all those barriers that eliminates their inability to stay focused, that's the best job that you can provide. Hey, Product Rebels, I'm Vidya Dhanamani. And I'm Heather Samrin, and you're listening to the Product Rebels podcast. Today, we want to welcome Jenny Lee. A fellow Product Rebel, but also a longtime friend. We met at Intuit back in the 90s, which, yes, dates us. She spent 17 years innovating and operating in roles like the SVP, GM of Small Business Employee Management, as well as the CIO. Her focus on the customer has been revolutionary, but her accomplishments in team and infrastructure transformation makes her a rebel through and through. In her most recent operating role as president and COO at the Khan Academy, she showed her rebel powers by growing their student base by 20% annually and growing their revenue by almost 70% in four years. She now spends her time as a course facilitator for Stanford B-School's flagship leadership class, Interpersonal Dynamics and Leadership, and serves in multiple boardrooms, sharing her experience and helping other companies grow. Welcome, Jenny. Jenny, welcome. Thank you. So excited that you're here. You're a fellow rebel, so that's why you're here. And we see you as a big rebel in the industry. And we're just here to talk to you about your experience. We're learning from everyone's wins and failures. So this is really exciting to have you on the show with us today. We're going to date you right now, but you've been a rebel for like 25 years, lady. (laughs) You're not a new rebel. You've been like doing this for for some time and you're really amazing at being a rebel too. Oh, well, thank you, Heather. Thank you for allowing me to be on this show. And I've learned from the two best rebels of them all, namely the two of you. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Um, It's funny because, well, we all met back at Intuit in the 90s. I looked. It's in the 90s. And that really does date us. And I'll stop talking about time right here. You know, one of the things that you mentioned in earlier conversations was how you define a rebel. We love how you define it. And so I'd love you to tell the audience, how do you define a product rebel? A product rebel to me is someone who just won't take no for an answer and, I should say, will respectfully advocate, can't be a jerk about it, but advocate respectfully for building the best product and the best features for their customers, even if they face initial resistance or some pushback. And all kinds of pushback happens, whether it's from peers, from engineers, from direct managers from the finance guy, or even from the general manager like myself that says, sorry, we can't do that. And a product rebel doesn't necessarily have to be only in your product organization, like you know a product manager or designer, um, but it could be anyone in your company, like marketing, customer success, or even the GM or CEO who really just has a passion for wanting to deliver amazing things to the customers. I love it. You know, you said something right there, which I always think of as you which is this idea of respectfully sort of not taking no for an answer. When we think about product rebels, sometimes people feel like they've got to be like strong and loud and, you know, and, and in your face. And, and you've never been that way. So can you just tell us a little bit more about this idea of respectfully being a product rebel? 
I think it's having a strong conviction for what you believe in, but based on a lot of data and facts so that it's unrefutable and people can't challenge the facts because they're facts. It's having a wonderful dialogue based on that fact, but again, standing on that conviction so that you're focusing on the problem and not making it personal. And that's how you could be very respectful in advocating for your passion and your beliefs. That's a really great add too, right? This isn't personal. This is really thinking about the customer and keeping the discussion focused on the customer. That's right. We love it. How about telling us a little story? You've given us a really great story in the past with Khan Academy specifically and how in 2017, there was this big shift in focus from going to where learning was happening versus kind of where you had been, which is having people organically come to your website to learn. Talk to us a little bit about how you led that change and how it made you feel like a rebel. So I'll give you a little bit of context because Khan Academy, for those that may not know on this podcast who Khan Academy is, but it is a nonprofit whose mission is to provide free world-class education for anyone, anywhere. And it was founded by an amazing guy named Sal Khan, who really focused on user persona type called the self-motivated independent learner. And that is for people who need a problem, couldn't understand a math homework, let's say, from their teacher. They log on to our website, they listen to a video, and they're like, okay, now I get it and now I can do my homework. So it's a supplemental set of tools for you to get better knowledge about how to do a problem. That is what Khan Academy has been known for, founded on, and millions and millions of users come to our site for that purpose. And although that is incredibly wonderful, we wanted to really affect society and really make sure that we can raise the water level for those that are truly underserved. So we wanted to go where the learning was happening, and we wanted to be proactive about that by reaching those students not necessarily independent learners, but students in the classroom. And it's specifically the underserved students, those that are in low-income zip codes or that are on free or reduced lunch, those that where English is a second language or they have a racial, ethnic diversity. You know, a lot of people who, given their life circumstances and hardships outside of school, weren't very self-motivated or couldn't be because they had to provide for their families or whatever as students. So we wanted to go there, and in going there meant a change in our strategy and focusing on a very different user persona. That persona being the student in the classroom, which meant that we also had to provide tools for the teacher. And that's a very different thing, and making sure that we have the connection between the teacher and the student in all the content that we create as well. And that meant finding more creative ways to motivate, support, and encourage students to want to learn. That meant aligning to scope and sequence that was being taught in the schools. It meant providing teacher tools so that they can roster their classrooms, give the teachers data insights needed on how their students are doing real time. And really give them the ability to assign discrete practice problems that tailors their instruction and differentiates the learning within the classroom. And that helps each student because before, without these teacher tools, 
the teacher would have a one, on average, a one to 35 person ratio. And they'd have to teach one way to all 35 people, as if all 35 people were the same. And they're not. There's lots of people that are very, very self-motivated that are bored out of their mind because the teacher's going too slow. Or there's other students at the lower end that need a lot of help and the teacher's going too fast. And so with these teacher tools that we also provided with this new user persona type, we're able to help the teacher differentiate the learnings within their own individual classrooms. Such a compelling problem. I love the way you describe that. As soon as you said it, you immediately make sense that no one learns the same way, yet we've got this situation where teachers are trying to do exactly that. So I love that context. I can imagine, Ginny, you had a lot of skeptics among donors. Talk to us a little bit about the challenges you faced in this big transformation. It came from all over, believe it or not. You know, being an ed tech and trying to balance both, we got skepticism from the tech industry because the ed side is 200 years old and not really that advanced in technology. We got skepticism from the ed side of being too tech. And so much of the learning has to be with that teacher and in person and in school. And how could a computer do that? And so we had that meta set of skepticism. We also had skepticism on our ability to really solve that problem with existing and potential donors and with educators and with school district administrators. And to be honest, we even had skepticism from some of our own employees. How come you didn't give up? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, we didn't give up. anyone on your side? (laughs) Yeah, right. Was there anyone that was helping you out on that one? I think that's where the product rebel part comes in. You know, it's, we saw this massive problem to help those most underserved students raise their knowledge level. And if we could do that and they could one day get a high school diploma and gee, they go to college or they're better educated enough to get a job, think about how much better our society would be. And we kept that as our North Star of passion that right or wrong, we didn't want to take no for an answer because we knew that was such an amazing problem to solve. And we thought we could solve it. So despite all the skepticism, we did that. Yeah, I love that mission orientation, right? That often helps pave the way when there are a lot of skeptics, right? And demonstrating that vision and keeping that at the forefront often helps when you're in this sort of almost in a what feels rebellious, making sure that that vision and the customer problem is really, again, at the forefront. Tell us a little bit about kind of you personally, you know, how were you able to come back to donors and say no, come back to the big stakeholders that were sort of pushing back? In, in a lot of cases, you have product managers that kind of give up, right? They're like, okay, I just can't get through and I, we'll just go back to what we got. And it's tough. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, if you were a product manager facing this same challenge, what are the tips that you might use or tell them to help them get through that? Yeah, so Code Academy, I was not the product leader. I was, you know, the president and chief operating officer. And so my job was really to make sure we as a total company, because we were small, we had 200 plus people, right? So that's pretty small for an organization trying to solve this massive mission. 
And so my job was to really ensure we had just maniacal focus and priority and aligned with funding and making sure we had the organizational skill sets to try to tackle this problem. For me, that meant being clear on what the problem was and how we needed to solve it and who we needed to solve it with. So in some cases, it's hiring a different talent or skill that we didn't have. A lot of times it meant saying no. And I was, you know, the queen no police. I mean, I really was. (laughs) And it's saying no to a lot of other amazing ideas for the independent learner, which was really hard because we wanted to solve those problems too. It meant saying no to other initiatives that our product teams wanted to improve or get done. It meant, you know, we had lots of potential philanthropists who wanted to give us funding for other initiatives. You know, believe it or not, we said no to a lot of them because they wanted us to solve a different problem than we had a passion for that we were trying to be rebellious about. And so it's saying no to them and then finding those new philanthropists or foundations and funders that would donate and would align to our strategy and with our focus. And, you know, we had one of the best. You can't get any better than Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation wanting us to solve this classroom product. That's pretty good. Yeah, so we had that. I think saying no is one of the hardest things. And frankly, it's the most important thing that you can do. And what kept you going? I mean, you've talked about this compelling vision, this North Star. Was there anything else that kept you on track? I mean, what did you learn? What what gave you the fuel to stay on track with the strategy? Because so many teams start off with this passion and then it sort of fades away as you get attacked from all of these sides. And then it starts creeping in and you've got money being given or you've got interest here and suddenly everything falls apart. So what was the fuel to keep you going? I'll do it in a couple of buckets, kind of day to day and kind of in the medium term. We had a Slack channel where we housed all of our customer testimonials. And each one of us probably read that Slack channel, you know, 30, 45 minutes a day. And we got probably 50 to 100 customer testimonials a day. And when you read some of these where they talk about this student, this underserved student who, again, had no means, came from a broken family, came to use Khan Academy, was failing his math class, you know, since he was in the third grade. And now, you know, is an advanced math class, you know, in seventh grade, your, your heart can't help but just melt and say, okay, this is why we're here. This is why we're doing what we're doing. This is why we're facing against all odds or or swimming upstream, whatever analogy you want to use. So that on the day-to-day level helps, keeps us going and fuels us. Kind of on the medium-term level, we started a research and efficacy group whose sole purpose is to figure out what we were doing, if what we were doing was efficacious. And so a year later after we launched the product, it did. It did a correlative research project And it took, I can't remember the exact numbers, but something like 250,000 student population that used our product and said, okay, for those that didn't use it in school districts with like school districts versus those that did, what was the difference? And the research said if they used Khan Academy for 30 minutes a week, their points went up by an average of 25%. And so the way to think about that is, If you're a 50th percentile student, so a 
C, C minus student, you now, with Khan Academy at 30 minutes a week, you gain an additional 22 points on your math assessment score. And that is going from 50th percentile to almost 60th percentile. And when you see that, you say, okay, we're doing this to 250,000 students in this really poor school district in Las Vegas or pick a place. That's why we're here. That's why we keep doing what we're doing. And if you have top to bottom, from the engineer to the CEO on top saying, yes, this is why we're here, then you keep going. I love that. I love the combination of it's all 200 people reading customer day to day just as a practice. It keeps you so close to the customer. And then you're backing it up by research and outcomes. And that package, I think, is is so powerful. It's awesome. Yeah, they have this thing, and I I don't want to get too technical, but they have this thing in research and efficacy, they call it an effect size. And in the education world, the average effect size is less than 0.1. And for us, this research was a 0.20 effect size, which is amazing in the educational research. Amazing. And again, it's one of the top, you can rank this particular research in the top 10 in that industry. Huge impact. Let's self-reflect a little bit. Let's go back to the project. What's one thing you might do differently in the project that you want to share with others, you know, as part of your learning? We always like to self-reflect after big projects, especially in big transformation. What might you have done different? Your book is wonderful. It's it's a wonderful how-to, and I subscribe to a lot of... We did not pay her to say this. You did not. You did not. But I just wanted to reinforce that, you know, you had some chapters in your book where you say start small, do a minimum viable product. And so we tried to do that. And we really set ourselves up to try to do that. And we said, okay, let's go to five small districts and let's do this MVP for 50,000 students. And we were oversubscribed and we had to say no to a lot of districts. There was one particular district, Clark County in Las Vegas, and it had a Over 50% population of students were on free and reduced lunch, about 45% with African-American or Latino populations. So that's the underserved that we look at. And they really wanted to be on our platform. And we said, nope, can't do it. You're too big. This is that other. Long story short, we did it in our MVP. So we went from instead of five districts at less than 50,000 students to start out with, we did six districts and about 250,000 students. Oh, jeez. Wow. That was not a pilot. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's um, not a prototype. No, it was no. not a pilot. And I think we, we so wanted to solve the inequities. And we saw this as such an amazing opportunity for Clark County that we did it. But in reality, and, you know, knock on wood, everything worked out well. But knock on wood, it was a risk that was too big and we shouldn't have taken because I think we could have solved the initial product better when we had even more focus. Launching to the fifth largest school district in America, which is what Clark County was or still is, we were solving a lot and we burnt out the teams because we were were too wide in what we were trying to do. So that was one of the biggest mistakes or yeah, I guess it's a mistake, but things that I wish we would have done differently. 
One of the themes that I'm culling from this conversation is focus. Being able to say no to the right things and the wrong things, right? Being able to remove barriers to keep focused and then being able to you know, start small, get it right, then expand. You know, that's one of the biggest challenges for a product manager, getting commitment from the rest of the stakeholders, whether they be internal or external on that focus is one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. If you had to give one piece of advice for a newer product manager or a newer product leader, right, that may not have as much influence or authority in being able to practice that focus, what piece of advice might you give them? So you, you all have known me for 25 years and uh, I was that no police that intuit too, respectfully, <laughs> but I was that no police that intuit too. But I think for pro- to answer your question, Heather, um, it is very important to be clear on your user persona, I think, and the customer problems that you're trying to solve in priority order. There's going to be many. And so I often use the, what are your top five? And not only what are your top five, but put a hundred point allocation to them because not all of them are going to be equally weighted. Yeah. So if you have top of mind who your customer persona is or your user persona and the problems in weighted percentages, that's going to be huge. That's half the battle. And then staying true and being that maniacally focused with that strict prioritization, because when you do that, you're providing air cover to the product manager or the product leader to execute incredibly well. And that's all there. Any prideful PM just wants to build an amazing product. They really do. And so if you as the leader or you as the GM can help remove all those barriers that eliminates their inability to stay focused, that's that's the best job that you can provide. And then I think, again, learning from the mistake that I just talked about, starting small and not being enticed by the PR part of things, but start small, keep learning, iterate. I would also say making sure you keep the end-to-end customer experience in mind, not just the specific feature. And then as we talked about in the, in the top of the hour, having all the data to back you up you know, because it can get personal, it can get heated. And the person that stays true to the data and the customer at the forefront is going to be the best. I think this is just a masterclass on how to respectfully say no and Mm -hmm. say focus and just take to heart everything Jenny has said, because we've seen her in action many times and she's so incredibly effective. So Jenny, this has been such a great conversation. We want to sort of end with what's your favorite rebel hack? And this could be something you're reading, could be a podcast, could be something that you do, a behavior. But we just want to know, like, tell us one of your secrets. I've been blessed as, you know, the two of you are also have to have worked at Intuit for such a long time. And I really attribute Scott Cook and being so customer driven and innovative around that with you know, Intuit was founded on these thousands of hours of follow me homes to really understand the customer problem. And I think one of their core values, which I just hold so dear to this day, is this customer obsession, core value. And that is being customer obsessed means that we have fallen in love with our customer problems, not our solutions. It's about their problems and how to best solve their problems. And we sweat every single detail 
to deliver that delightful and that wow and meaningful customer experience. And so that's what I try to hold in my heart, whether I look at a particular feature or whether I'm removing barriers from my product leaders. All right. What can we share about you? What's coming up for you? What's your life like? And how can we spread the Jenny joy? Huh. Um, there's nothing you can promote for me, but I, although I appreciate that. I'm much older than you all are. So I'm kind of on my third chapter of just sitting on some boards. I uh, teach a class at the Stanford Business School and having a lot of fun with that. And I've, I'm on a variety of boards. I'm on a public board, two private boards, and a higher ed board. And so that's been a lot of fun for me. And a lot of work. <laughs> I, think what you, I think what you can do, in all honesty, and I mean this sincerely, and you, know, you did not pay me to say this either, I think your book is just a very practical, no-nonsense, here's how to do it. And you know, not a lot of MBA buzzwords to it. And I love that. And it's really teaching people to focus on the right things to build great products for customers. And so my wish is for your product rebels to keep expanding and scaling because it's teaching some, some really amazing concepts to people who are trying to do the right thing. Oh, thanks, Aww, Jenny. Shot. That's thank my you, wish Jenny. for you all. Thank you Aww. so much. So well, sweet. thank you for your time. You kick butt and you will always be a rebel in our mind. And we learn from you. And thank you again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Product Rebels podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to learn more from Product Rebels, from companies like Netflix, Amplitude, and beyond, Please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and join us for another impactful interview in about two weeks.